how are you now? How are you? It's almost daylight savings times, folks. Daylight savings time times. What am I on about? Hello and welcome to episode uh, 10 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and what are we here to talk about? Well, we're here to talk about the Montreal Canadiens who traveled to a faraway land where apparently professional hockey games are played in arenas akin to those that you may see major junior games played in the country of Canada. I'm talking, of course, about the Arizona Coyotes and their absolute fucking clown car of an arena that they call Mullet Arena. In uh, Arizona, of course, the home of the Arizona State Sun Devils NCAA team that seats like 40 people and they didn't even fill it for that game. Um, We're going to have more jokes about the Arizona Coyotes coming up. However, prior to us getting to the recap of that game, I do have another word from one of our sponsors. And the last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, NHL are also all in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action along with every sport available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. So head on to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now, if you happen to notice something about when this particular game started it was probably the camera angle man here's your first joke about mullet arena being a piece of shit um that it's the only arena in this league where the moment the game starts you see the camera angle and you go what is that i i don't know what it is like it almost it's almost like they're shooting from the 400 level but they don't have a 400 level they don't even have a 300 or a 200 level there's just one level That's all there is. How can the camera angle be that weird? Maybe it's because it's too low, but then why does it feel like it's too high? I don't know. It was driving me nuts. And the other thing that drove me nuts was the play of the Montreal Canadiens in that period. I mean, it started out with an immediate scoring chance for the Yotes. Didn't like that. Um, The Habs managed to settle it down a little bit after that rough first minute. Um, But then less than four minutes, we get Nick Bustad that goes off for a trip. All right, and this is where the problems seem to start for the Montreal Canadiens. Power play has been considerably better lately than it than it was at the start of the year, uh, but it was rough. They got five shots in their first power play, um, so you could say the first one looked like maybe they were going to be a, a repeat of the previous night where they had a couple of power play goals. Ah, uh, but those five shots were about all they were going to muster up in that period, despite getting another attempt later on. And uh, of course, the team that strikes first is not the Montreal Canadiens. After the failed first power play, uh, puck goes the other way. Yotes get a chance. Justin Barron covers the puck in the crease. That's a penalty shot. And Nick Schmaltz comes in on Jake Allen. Allen gets a piece of the shot, but it gets through, and it's one nothing for the Yotes. Not too long after that, though. Bit of a weird zone exit by Brendan Gallagher. Bit of a busted zone exit, really. He's struggling to get it out, but he gets it out. And he it leads to a two-on-one for Sean Monaghan and Tanner Pearson. Sean Monaghan. He just keeps that puck, cuts to the middle, and snipes one on the near side. Ties this game up at one with his sixth of the year. You heard that right. Sean Monaghan has six goals this year. Final five minutes of the game. 
Um, Cole Caulfield finds Nick Suzuki as he's cutting into the zone, and Nick Suzuki cuts in, backhands it into the net. It's 2-1 to one for the Montreal Canadiens, but wait, there's an offside challenge. It was, in fact, offside, and the goal gets called back. We're back to 1-1, and the Habs kind of look completely deflated after that. They had another power play as well in that period and got no shots on it, so they went from five shots to no shots, looking completely anemic after that first one didn't go for them. And it looked like that that goal getting called back really took the wind out of their sails completely. And then, of course, just to add injury to insult, Josh Brown, late in the period, um, throws a late hit on Rafael Harvey-Pinar, uh, sends him into the boards awkwardly. looked like he twisted his ankle. Uh, he would leave the game, but he would return at the beginning of the second period. And then he takes a hit in the corner early in the second period, and that's it. He's done for the night. Now the Habs are playing short, and they're playing like they're playing short. Uh, They're playing like they can't figure out what the line combinations are supposed to be. And they're playing like, again, that called back goal in the first period really took the wind out of their sails. The Yotes are getting the better chances. The Habs are far too cute trying to get out of their zone. Again, something that I've talked about a few times this year. And, uh, you know, they get their third power play of the game just past the midway point of the period. And it's absolute trash. So even the power play, which has been a point of strength for them for the last few games, is completely failing them in this one. And they look like shit at 5-on-5 five five to boot. And then late in the period, Yoel Armia takes an interference penalty, just a bonehead play, no reason to run that guy over. Uh, he heads to the box, and just as as <coughs> just as it is expiring, Lawson Krause gets a one-timer from the right circle. Uh, we're less than a minute left on the clock, and he puts it in. Uh, Jake Allen just barely got a piece of it. It actually looked like Lawson Crowe's whiffed on the shot a little bit, but he got a, a lucky flub into the net, and it is two to 2-1, and that's your score heading into the third. Most important thing is for them to turn it around a little bit in that period, and uh, to their credit, they do. Um, they come out hard to start the third period. They're trying again, and they get a power play less than three minutes in. It sucks. It's really not going well, but the second unit towards the very end of it Uh, Gets in the zone. Tanner Pearson has the puck down low. He finds Brennan Gallagher in the slot and he rips it. 2-2 is your score. They are back in this thing. And then, of course, a few minutes later, softest cross-check call ever on Arbor Jacki. Right after they just decided not to call a cross-check against Nick Suzuki. Uh, And, of course, it hurts. Bullshit call. Nick Schmaltz, this time, he just drives the back door. Uh, Beautiful pass across from Logan Cooley. And that makes it 3-2. Um, the Habs get back on their horse, though. They're playing a much better period. Uh, you got to give them credit. They definitely did better in the third than they did in the previous two. And um, But they just can't get out of their own way. They can't get out of their own way. Um, Cole Caulfield gets tripped just around the midway point of the period. Uh, they can't do anything with that power play. And the Habs, from that point, actually take two penalties of their own just to kill clock, just to shoot themselves in the foot, uh, kneecap their chances at making a comeback and getting this game into overtime, um, which honestly was a late game, so I'm not too sure how much I wanted it to be in overtime. But alas, uh, they would pull Jake Allen with uh, just under two minutes left on the clock. Mike Matheson would ping one off the crossbar during that time, but that was as close as they'd get. Three to two is your final in favor of the Arizona Coyotes. So uh, I got to start with my gripe with this fucking building that they play in. Pierre Oud, who is a legend uh, of French-Canadian broadcasting for hockey, was doing his broadcast from the concourse. This is not an NHL rink. Like, you're you're joking with this fucking thing. Every camera angle sucked. 
um the the audio was like dropping out at certain points now maybe you could say that that was rds's fault i was watching on rds but scott matlow was watching on tsn he had the same thing so i think it's just the equipment in the arena that sucks um it's this is a joke this is, this is a complete joke the city doesn't even want them there they just figured out a way to attach themselves to a local university so they could keep playing in an area that doesn't want them this is like if you opened up a restaurant if you came to me and said matt i want i want you to invest in my new restaurant that i'm opening up we're going to be serving I don't know, Ethiopian food in an area where literally nobody wants to eat Ethiopian food, right? And there's plenty of people that are coming along and saying, hey, come here. We've got a lot of people that are really interested in Ethiopian food. But you're like, no, 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 no. I want to open it up specifically in this one area that hates it and that doesn't support it. And you lose money constantly. You're hemorrhaging money. And then what do you do? Well, you go to the biggest restaurant conglomerate around and you get them to start giving you money from some of their members just to keep you afloat right? The city evicts you from your fucking restaurant. You just go open up a school cafeteria because students are always hungry, right? No, they're still not hungry. You're still hemorrhaging money. And then other teams have to go into this shitty building that is not a real NHL building and watch games. I don't know. Rant over. This is ridiculous. Move the team somewhere where people actually care about hockey. This is stupid. Um, (laughs) Silver lining of the night. It is very hard for me to give you a silver lining after watching that game. That was horrible. Uh, but look, I'll give you two. All right. Number one, Sean Monahan. Sean Monahan has six goals this year. Um, he, he might be the silver lining in a lot of losses this season because, uh, look, if, if they are out of the playoff picture, he's a guy that you expect to be on the move. He's a guy that you expected to be on the move last year, but of course, injuries prevented that from happening. If he keeps up, he's on a 50 goal pace right now. I don't think he's going to keep that up. But if he keeps up even 50% of his current pace, if he has 25, 26 goals come deadline time, you don't think the Habs are going to get another first out of that guy? Which is ridiculous. To get two firsts out of a guy that you took off of another team, that's insane. That's insane. It's crazy good business. It's really good for the rebuild. It gives them a lot more kicks at the can in the draft. Um, look, and, and if they are in the playoff picture, which you know, based on that game, I think is a long shot, a very long shot. Um, he's, he's a guy that you obviously want to have around if that's the case. But look, I think the overwhelming likelihood is they're going to try to trade him before the deadline if he stays healthy. Uh, and if he keeps up this pace, man, the price that they're going to get back for him is going to be so sweet. And uh, he just so happens to be very enjoyable to watch out on the ice right now. One of the few players that was very enjoyable to watch in that particular game. Um, and yeah, it, it's been a consistent thing with him that he's been fun to watch. Uh, he's a very good hockey player. I think he's got a lot of game left in him. And uh, man, it, it sucks that the Habs aren't ready now because if they if they were if they were closer to done their re- to being done their rebuild, I would probably be advocating for keeping him around uh, because I think he's an extremely useful player. I think wherever they trade him, if if they do what I think they're going to do before the deadline, wherever they send him, uh, I think that team's got a really good chance at a cup. Uh, especially if it's a team that's already got a pretty strong roster uh, that they can add him into because, man, is he ever useful out there. Really great game from him, and it's been almost nothing but really great games from him so far this season. So good on Sean Monaghan. Um, second silver lining, man, um, Brennan Gallagher uh, gets another goal. Uh, he looked quite serviceable in that game. He's, again, like guy that's had a lot of injuries derailing his career over the last couple of years and um he's again i've I've talked about this many times that contract is a little bit bloated it's at a figure that you really don't want it to be at uh for what he is but 
there's nothing you can really do about it, and uh, I think it's going to be a tough one to move. And he is playing pretty well right now. They've figured out at least a way to optimize him. That line with Tanner Pearson, Sean Monahan, and Brendan Gallagher has been their best line night in and night out. They've been the most consistent at the very least. Every other line has had problems at one point or another. And, you know, having that is a pretty big luxury for the coaching staff because at least they know that, that if they keep that line intact, they're going to be uh, in a good spot. So, um, look, I guess throw the whole line on there. Uh, throw Jake Allen in there as a silver lining as well. Uh, he played really well, uh, especially in those first two periods where they were giving up a lot of high-danger chances, a lot of slot chances. He had to make a number of really good saves. J- Jake Allen was excellent, so take nothing away from him and the fact that he you know, gets an L on his record there. He he deserved a win. If they played, man, even I have, let's call it 50% as good as they did against the Golden Knights, that would have been a win. I, I don't understand, and I guess now, now I'll pivot and go into the negative part of the podcast. I don't understand how you can put together such a good effort against the Golden Knights, who are a much better team than the Arizona Coyotes, and then go out against the Coyotes and just lay an egg like that. Fucking horrible. Maybe it's the arena. <laughs> maybe maybe you go into that arena and it sucks so much because you don't have a dressing room. I don't know if they, if they... Do they even have a dressing room, or do they just get changed in a dank hallway somewhere? You got students spilling beer on you and shit i don't know i don't know i've never been there i don't want to be there um i hate that place i've never (laughs) i've never even set foot in it and i hate it um but look it's unacceptable to have that good of a game and then follow it up with this especially when you had a couple of days off um there's no real reason for you to sit there and say that you're tired it's not like you had a ton of travel the vegas to tempe is or is it even in tempe where the Where's Arizona State University? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, long story short, it's it's not a lot of travel. So you, you don't have a tired excuse. You don't have a play last night excuse. There's no excuses that you can make. I guess you can make the excuse that you lost Rafael Harvey-Pinard uh, really early in the second period, so you had to play short. But then you, your best period of the game was in the third period, so you're telling me that you know, losing a guy was what you needed to do in the first place. Should you have just came out short to start the game? I, I don't know. Really did not like the effort in that one, particularly for the first 40 minutes. Um, again, got better in the third. So, you know, you could throw a couple flowers, I guess, at the coaching staff and say, hey, good job making some adjustments and, and having a stronger period there, at least at the end of the game. But there's really not too much positive that you can take out of that. And then, I, I got to bring up Uri Slavkovsky. Um, I, I've avoided saying this for a while. I know a lot of fans have been saying it. I know a lot of our commenters, at least a few of our commenters, have been very vocal about this uh, throughout the course of the season so far. It is time for them to send Uri Slavkovsky to the Rocket de Laval. It's time. It's not working out right now. And it's not that he's playing horrible hockey. There are moments in the game where he gets the puck. Like there was a a moment against the Coyotes where um, puck is in the neutral zone. He's chasing it down. And then he didn't get it, but he managed to knock it into their zone. He bowled a guy over in the process. It's like there's there's a player there. I mean, there's been some times, particularly around the perimeter, where he can kind of patrol with the puck uh, and he can locate some good plays. But there seems to be a timing issue. There seems to be a confidence issue. He doesn't seem like he wants to shoot the puck even when he has a clear lane. It's like he's afraid to do it. You know he can do it quite well. I mean, he scored some. He scored on some BBs last year. 
He didn't score very many, but he scored on some BBs when he did. He can shoot the puck. Why isn't he doing it? I, I really think that it comes down to those two things that I mentioned, timing and confidence. Where's the best place for him to get timing and confidence? It's not going to be in Montreal. It's certainly not going to be on a line with Alex Newhook and um, Josh Anderson. It was working very well when Kirby Doc was there. Kirby Doc was the glue that was holding that together. Right now, you, you got to try something different. And the one thing that I felt like they could have tried different in that game is when things were going absolutely horribly and you were going into the third period is maybe toss him on the top line. Give him some time with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. What did they do? Now they busted him down to the fourth line. <laughs> they busted him down to the fourth line. Uh, he, he th- That's not how you're going to get the best out of him. He needs the reps. He needs the minutes. He needs to figure out that timing. He needs to regain his confidence. The best place for that, again, not Montreal. It's going to be Laval. It's going to be Laval. And pretty soon you got Christian Dvorak coming back, right? So you could send him down. Uh, we don't know what's going on with Rafael Harvey Pinar, so they might need uh, another body anyways. Call up Leah Sanderson. Call up Joshua Hoa. You have options down there that are performing very well. You could bring them up for a stint. Nobody's saying that any of this has to be permanent, right? You call up Joshua Hoa. It's not like you're saying, okay, he's in the NHL forever now. Maybe he makes himself undeniable, but if he doesn't, you always have the ability because he's on an ELC to send him back down. Same thing with Slavkovsky. You put him down in the AHL for now. You get him a chance to regain his confidence, regain that timing a little bit. There's nothing that says you can't pull him up before the end of the season if things are going well and you feel like it's warranted to give him another shot, right? It's I, I feel like part of the problem with this discussion when we talk about sending guys down or calling him up is a lot of people seem to go, oh, he's not ready and it's too soon for you to bring him up as if it means that he's there forever. It means he's getting a taste, whether that's a taste of the NHL or a taste of the AHL, it all depends on where you're at in your development and what do you need, right? For Slavkovsky, again, I think he needs timing and I think he needs confidence. And I don't think he's going to get that in Montreal. You put him down on the rocket and let's say, you know, let's say they don't do what I want. They don't call up Joshua Hawaii. All right, I get it. I talk about Hawaii a little bit more than I probably need to. But let's say they call up Leah Anderson instead. Slavkovsky could go down and he could play on top line with Joshua Hawaii. Maybe Mitchell Stevens gets the center of that line. I don't know. That could that sounds like some fun to me. Try it out. Maybe he gets to play with Sean Farrell. Maybe Sean Farrell, with his smarts out there, uh, he's able to locate Slavkovsky a little bit more in the slot, and Slavkovsky gets to be the trigger man for once. I can tell you for sure with Wa, uh, he would get plenty of chances to shoot because Wa is going to find him. If he can get himself open, Wa will find him, and he'll attract a lot of attention to himself, and he'll get the puck over to him and give him an opportunity to shoot. I think it's time. It's it's time to put him down there because right now, if anything, they might be hurting the possibility of his development because it's just it's not there. The timing's off, and you and you and the worst part is they have not since Kirby Doc got hurt figured out any way to optimize him. Like they optimized Brendan Gallagher. That line's I talked about it during the recap and or during the silver, silver linings. They figured out a way to optimize a guy who was looking like it was the the last gasp of his career. That's basically your 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 second line most nights, if not your first line some nights. And they have not been able to figure out the same thing with Slavkovsky and Newhook. Now Newhook has found some success, um, you know, in 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 measures. Certainly not resounding success, but he's found some success. Uh, Slavkovsky has not really found any. And look, it, something's got to change. 
And uh, right, right now, I think that's probably the best thing that they could do. Uh, and they should seriously consider it if they are not already. So I am on Team Send Slavkovsky down as of now. Um, anybody who has been waiting to hear that can rejoice. Anybody who disagrees with me, well, we can have a debate, right? Uh, I, I'm not trying to dump on the kid. I really don't think he's been playing that badly. I just think this is not the situation for him. I think this team is struggling to figure out how to put together lines outside of that one that has worked consistently and that's not really the environment for a 19 year old kid uh, who is still extremely young in his NHL career right oh, I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about him like like he's a complete bust it's like keep in mind the guy didn't even play what not even half a season last year and it's it's tough it's tough. It's tough to watch. And uh, I just, I, I wish they'd send him down. He could get real minutes down there. He'd be playing closer to 20 minutes a night. I think it'd be great for him. So, look, that's about all I have to say about that game. Uh, game was a piece of shit in a piece of shit arena um, in a community that, that doesn't want it. And uh, they should move that team to Quebec City. Um, I hate the Nordiques. So, anybody who's saying I'm biased because I just want another team in Canada, I hate the Nordiques. I grew up hating the Nordiques. I don't want them back. But... They deserve the team heck of a lot more than a town that doesn't support them. The 4,600 seats, they couldn't even fill that arena last night, and the Montreal Canadiens were in town. What are you doing? Uh, I'm getting back onto the rant, so let's just cut it off there. Uh, nobody's going to listen to this one anyway. That was such a shitty game. Probably going to have the least amount of downloads ever. So what are we running? Uh, 21 and a half minutes. So since soirée énorme. Uh, we're on Spotify, Google Play, Apple. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate that very much. This episode was brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.